You're listening to Very, Very Far Away, coming live from Sugar House Studios, part of London Design Festival 2018. Sat here with Sitraka Rakatoniana and J. Paul Neely, our first guest for today's session. Welcome. Welcome, J. Paul. Thank you. It's good to be here. Well, it's great. So what are you going to talk about today, J. Paul? Yeah, so um, I'm actually quite excited to share some of these ideas with you guys. Um, I've been talking a lot about uh, speculative design normalization. And so the idea that a lot of these approaches of speculative design actually it's necessary to bring them into back into traditional corporate settings and that they can actually provide a lot of value in those spaces so we're coming back full circle coming back to the back to the creators of these products items objects or what are we talking about a return yeah a return to those those spaces that initially we we left to begin exploring speculative design fantastic so but before you dig straight into your presentation uh, can you talk a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, my name is J. Paul Neely. I'm a service designer and a speculative designer. I run a, a studio, Neely Worldwide. We look to create meaningful impact with organizations through uh, the applications of these approaches. Uh, and then I also teach at the Royal College of Art on the service design course at the moment. Yeah, that's great. Well, we're going to let you start your presentation. Okay, well, I'll, I'll talk away and uh, yeah. Yeah, feel free to interrupt. Butt in with any <laughs> questions. <laughs> or please. Uh, Jay Paul, this makes absolutely no sense. Do. <laughs> How do you make this happen? <laughs> the reality of the situation. <laughs> we'll, s we'll see if we can answer some of those questions. Fantastic. <laughs> wow. So actually, I've got a, a kind of uh, fun direction. As I'm, I'm starting this a new personal commitment, I, I never begin or, or uh, go through any presentation or work without... Uh, making a plug about um, uh, uh, about climate change and global warming. So just a reminder that whatever we're doing now is probably not as important as addressing climate change and global warming. And uh, I've made a commitment to sort of add this slide and uh, this idea to every every presentation I'm giving. So uh, some more information at climate.studio if you want to also uh, add this little reframe to, to all of the work that you're doing out in the world. <laughs> um, so on speculative design normalization, I'll, I'll just share a few ideas. One, just some of the basics of speculative design, kind of an introduction uh, of how I'll talk about it often to design audiences or corporate audiences that are completely unfamiliar with the approaches or a lot of the work. Um, and then I'll try and, and uh, share a few ideas about actually how this work plugs into uh, corporate settings and how it provides value in those settings. Fantastic. So um, the definition again for speculative design that I often give, the design of future products and services uh, to explore the implications of emerging technology and trends. And I, you know, with all of the different directions of uh, critical design, design futures, uh, design fiction, I talk about this as generally it's, it's all similar and we've just got little twists and turns based on the individual designer's mm -hmm. interest, uh, whether they're critiquing the existing world in some way or whether they're more interested in sort of the, the parallel nature of their work to what's going on today. Um, the two frames that I've found just incredibly helpful and, and kind of uh, mind-opening to people are, are uh, Dun and Raby's A and B that you know mm -hmm. very well <laughs> yeah. um, but that that idea that we've got one column representing design as sort of slave to industry mm -hmm. uh, completely connected to the near-term needs of the business and this amazing opening in B that what happens when we decouple design from industry and now we can use those same mechanisms and techniques and approaches to ask all sorts of new questions um, so that, that shift is really interesting to people. And I, particularly when I'm talking to in corporate settings, they immediately see that, you know, they're incredibly, that pressure to deliver on next quarter's results mm -hmm. or that the, the future actually only being a few months out uh, is, is kind of oppressive. And so the idea that we can, we can actually create space in these organizations to have a broader exploration is really exciting. And the other... Uh, the other frame, again, that you'll know very well, but the future cones, I think, is incredibly useful. So again, that idea that looking out into the future, we have a sort of uh, sense of, of what is uh, a probable future, very, very likely to take place with 
uh, as we follow on the current trajectory, then beyond that, a, a plausible future, something that's a little less likely, but still something we can we can believe in, and then uh, possible exploring those those edges. Uh, the other conversation that I'll often add then is the idea of Amara's law, and Amara's law is the idea that typically when we look into the future as, as humans, we think about this in. Uh, things changing in a linear fashion. But in reality, most change happens in, in technological terms in an exponential fashion. And so what happens in, in a near time frame, then we overestimate the amount of change and we're left super disappointed. You know, wow, that, that technology completely falls flat. We should dismiss it. It's not interesting. Uh, but then in the medium to long term, we radically underestimate the amount of change that takes place. Mm -hmm. And so what happens with a lot of organizations then is they're, they're stuck in this near-term space, dismissive of emerging tech or trends, and then they're caught completely flat-footed when suddenly this technology becomes ubiquitous and uh, they're ill-equipped to understand kind of what's, what's happened. So our, our level of normal is kind of shifted there, basically, the, the plateau, the plane of normalization. Radically, and if you're, again, if you're thinking in sort of this linear term or linear fashion as you look into the future, then you're going to, you're going to be caught off guard when this shift happens. Mm. Um, so I've, I've kind of been playing with that idea then, uh, you know, applying that against the future cones. I think a better representation of future cones is actually to create that exponential curve. Uh, so we're, you know, with speculative design, then we're taking projects at different uh, timelines into the future at different degrees of probability. And uh, through that exploration, then uh, identifying a preferable route, route forward. So basically, we're talking about kind of what we'd like these futures to be and kind of how we navigate that, how we make a preferred potential come to realization, to fruition. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so a few of the other ideas that I often share as I'm giving kind of my introduction to this work, you know, again, the reminder that not fantasy. Uh, always the, the work is grounded in the real science, in the, you know, we're speaking to the experts in the field, we're trying to understand what is actually possible, what, what could actually come about. We uh, avoid I magic. That in your diagram just now, the, these, these cone diagrams that we're talking about, if you can imagine a kind of triangle and surrounded by a sea of the impossible, and, and, that, and that's actually written in there, it's the, the impossible. Yeah, yeah. And the After the possible part of, Absolutely. of this, and, and in, in the this impossible kind of diagram. <laughs> <laughs> and the impossible is exciting and interesting and amazing to explore, but I think with this work, we, we want to ground it in, in what can really happen uh, in, in that reality in some way. Um, another idea that's been really useful is talking about not utopic or not dystopic. Again, this is the critique mm -hmm. we often talked about was, you know, you get a, a corporate future generally and everything is perfect, everything is shiny, uh, you know. Uh, you mean the kind of videos people like, say, say Microsoft or some of the large kind of like tech companies are, Absolutely. are putting out to the world? Yeah. Remember like a corning glass company future and everything is glass, oh, you yeah. know, uh, there are no fingerprints The whole anywhere. world's like a CSI <laughs> crime lab. Yeah. <laughs> but in those videos, the thing that I find really interesting is the fact that they're selling mostly the fact that there's going to be more and more software than nothing else. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, well, it is. It's, it's kind of self-serving and it's always utopic and perfect. And again, so we always talk about the opportunity with speculative design is actually we can show this complexity, this messiness. It's, mm -hmm. it's utopic and dystopic simultaneously. There are lots of trade-offs. We don't exactly know what's going on, but that's the conversation we want to have. Um, also, again, messy people, not perfect consumers, but contradictory uh, liars, cheats, you know, abusive, abusive. <laughs> yeah. But also, you know, human and compassionate and, uh, you know, understanding kind of inject injecting real people into these futures. Uh, we're not predictive. So this becomes a big one. We're not saying this is what will happen. We're, we're always working in multiples to say, this is the spread of possibilities that we can consider and try to understand. Okay. Um, the, the, the last few, one, again, this speculative design I find becomes incredibly useful in unclear contexts. So when you have a brand new technology that a business has no sense of, uh, or a new emerging trend that they don't have language yet to describe or understand, speculative design becomes a mechanism to generate that understanding within the organization. Um, again, engaging through prototyping. 
So you build a prototype, you make this feature tangible in some way, and it allows, um, it allows the business to sort of suspend disbelief. We've talked about loosening you know, mm. reality's grip on, on their minds, and you can have a whole different conversation. And this is often in contrast to the features they generally work with, which might be a descriptive paragraph of, variety of text in, a, in mm -hmm. a trend report. So a prototype you know, does a much better job of, of yeah, allowing so people so to we're engage. We're breaking down some kind of barriers, preconceptions, and opening up these kind of audiences. Uh, to new ways of looking at challenging and exploring the future. Absolutely, and, and again, they haven't had tools like speculative design to do that in the past, or yeah. the types of tools that are typical uh, to use don't do a very good job of, of allowing that open exploration or allowing people to engage with the ideas. Right. Um, and then finally, again, you know, we're, we're trying to generate new answers through asking these questions. What if the future looks like uh, this? You know, what happens when this technology becomes ubiquitous? And then often I find it's, it's just an exercise of reframing. We're introducing radical alternatives into the, the business. To wake people thinking. up or snap them out of their kind of five-year projection or forecast. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it uh, I mean, everything just becomes new. <laughs> you know, the, the urgency of the next quarter suddenly seems quaint. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, the, 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 yeah, the business boundaries and parameters are completely shifted. Absolutely. And, and if you're, if, you know, and again, this becomes a valuable activity then for the, for the business. Um, so that's sort of my quick introduction to speculative <laughs> design that I often give to try to give people mm -hmm. a, a few thoughts on, on why this becomes valuable. Um, so, uh, you know, I love showing projects to people as well. <laughs> and it's always, it's really fun to see people's reactions who have, have never been introduced to speculative design to begin to, to see some of the projects. But just a few, I love to share uh, Susanna Soros, uh, her B project, uh, you know, this beautiful image of a, a woman blowing into a glass vessel. She's done research with the scientists who uh, have identified bees' ability to be trained to detect different chemical signatures and be trained to respond to those, and the idea of a new cancer detection device. Uh, and so for me, this is really interesting in terms of asking questions about our relationship with nature, capturing these innate capabilities evolved capabilities of nature and harnessing that in new ways and also conversations about you know medicine and mm. cancer detection and mm -hmm. our our, re our relationships with the kind of patient experience a, or it's a really good example of how the the use of prototyping to create an object or a, or a means a, a bridge a perceptual bridge if you like for your audience in order to get them on board with an idea as well if we're talking about Susanna's project that you, you mentioned which Visually, is, is this massive glass bubble, basically, yeah. that full of bees that you're breathing into, and taking that in the context of medical devices is, is an alien. It's a, it's a, a, a kind of interrupter, almost a, a kind of point at which people are going to be somewhat put out, or kind of maybe question a little bit more the way in which they're going about things and how they view medical devices it, say. it is and it's so it's so vivid <laughs> and it's so uh you know once you see the image it kind of can't leave you yeah and um and again it, it allows you to have those conversations in a way that is very different from say the the sort of abstract way that we talk about like patient experience uh without without some some type mm. of provocation or new idea like that's this. it it's the provocation of it i think is it the, is the so key. um I've got to, I'll just mention these, I won't go through them, but I, I love sharing Kevin Grennan's work with robots and smell. Uh, he's got some beautiful images of robots that he's augmented with uh, a new interface. Um, the one I often show is he's got a, a lovely image of a bomb disposal robot that he's then created this orifice that releases a, a chemical that's, that, uh, that humans release when they're afraid. So we can actually smell fear in others. So the terrified bomb disposal robot. Exactly. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the idea that does, that does that change the nature of the relationship with the bomb disposal robots operator. We don't want to send it in there. <laughs> it's terrified. Look at it. <laughs> we're, we're suddenly you know, more careful. <laughs> uh, we, we sense the, the consequences. You know, our adrenaline goes up. And what does that, that do mm. for the interaction? So uh, really interesting to share this. And especially with so many conversations going on at the moment about human uh, computer human robot interaction uh, that becomes really interesting um, 
uh, I love showing uh, Diego uh, 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 Trulio Fasani's uh, work on um, with robots. He has these lovely images uh, throughout uh, the home, very mundane scenes, but they've been transformed in this way as we think about uh, what would happen when robots live in the home with us. Uh, so this image that I like to show is, is a, a kind of countertop in a kitchen, and we've got a steak that has been cut in a very unusual way, these kind of perfect cubes. Uh, we can see the cutting board has these interesting notches that allow the robot to, to handle the cutting board in some way. And even the, the packaging of the steak is, is now kind of computer readable uh, mm -hmm. or, or robot readable. Um, and it's, again, just an interesting way to begin to think about the, the uh, trade-offs that we make, the accommodations that we make as robots begin moving into the home. Um, and the final, the final one I, I've been sharing recently, this is Stefan Fielder's uh, Objects of Politeness project. And uh, he's got this lovely device that he's built. Uh, he's looking at, uh, as objects like phone and wearable technologies become ways to measure our activity and our behavior, um, you know, how does that information get used in different ways mm -hmm. um, and broadcast and, and what are the consequences of, of that? Uh, so this device actually allows you to set your phone on it. It's got a, a kind of wheel that then uh, as you turn on the device, it, it bounces the phone in a fashion that's similar to if you had the device in your pocket. Uh, simulate your walk. Exactly, yeah. simulate your walk. I think he even had some playful ones that could simulate a sort of drunk stumble uh, home. <laughs> Late night walking. Yeah, exactly. Friday night. Uh, I call it Friday night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a quick jog. Um, but, you know, again, uh, uh, really, this was back in 2010, but exploring already the, you know, the technology is, is here, it will be available, but then mm -hmm. what, are the, what are the implications? How do people cheat? How do be people begin to avoid this type of thing? And I literally, this is from two days ago, uh, John Hancock, you may have seen this, a big insurer in the United States has just announced that they will only sell policies uh, that track uh, fitness and health data via wearable devices. So you can only get health insurance if you're wearing a, a wearable and sharing that data. This is with, it. With the <laughs> wow. <laughs> so in response to that, then Alan Cooper uh, responded, said, uh, billion dollar startup idea, Andro uh, Arduino powered artificial wrist that wears a Fitbit and tells my insurance company I'm doing fine. Uh, Keep those premiums down. Exactly. Nice. <laughs> but you know, yeah. for me, brilliant to see S Stefan had anticipated this eight years ago, yeah. already understood that the, the beyond the John Hancock move and this insurance, which was probably inevitable, mm. is going to be this whole world now of faking it. Of faking it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if, if you've seen the project from uh, Superflux called Uninvited Guests. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's that kind of uh, idea as well, where you have these kind of objects that are supposedly helping you to, I don't know, there's a cane that actually measure the amount of uh, steps that you're making. So it's for like elderly people. So the cane tells you how much you need to walk to in, in order to stay healthy, and et cetera. And you just need to train it to walk itself so you can spend more time <laughs> in the bar. Yeah, but in the video at the end, the guy actually pays someone uh, to actually walk the cane. To take his cane for yeah, a walk. Yeah. Cane walking service. Exactly. It's going to be the whole new service industry. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it, but it's, it's brilliant. I mean, it's, it's that next layer of questioning and next layer of exploration that is generally completely absent, for, absent from decision making in, in a business setting. And yeah. so there, there just doesn't seem to be that next bit of, of, uh, of understanding of what this future potentially means. Um, so, and that gets, really, that gets really interesting. So again, I mean, we, we kind of all agree, yeah, speculative design is an amazing way to begin to explore, better understand, uh, and then hopefully, I, I think generally it's been a hope, create a better future. And I think this is, for me, then this is maybe the added dimension mm -hmm. of this conversation. That, uh, and this question is, can those types of explorations add and create value in corporate settings or traditional, uh, more traditional design settings or business settings? And so I'll, sh I'll share a few ideas on this. Uh, one is that there are a number of interfaces to the business that make this actually quite a comfortable piece or a comfortable approach to add to what's being done. And one is that the, the design approach is generally not radically different. 
like the process you go through to generate a speculative design isn't necessarily radically different from the process you'd go through to create a, a, a product or service that you'd, you'd send to market, right? There's mm. some sort of research phase. I've got an image here of kind of uh, my version of the double diamond, <laughs> right? There's some sort of research phase where we, we diverge and explore the science, what's happening. We converge to a point of view on that or insights about what that might look like. We then diverge in terms of possible designs that would address or or uh, uh, communicate this, and then we come to um, a, a concept that we want to take forward. I think the difference is instead of then, of course, taking those concepts to implementation, uh, the outputs in, in this setting might be new strategy for the business. It might be new types of roadmaps for the business, um, further research, you know, opening new types of questions to be explored. Uh, and also I'm finding there, there are many times immediate product or service implications. So we, we generate a speculative design, but then we actually realize, oh my goodness, that's not that far out. Yeah. There's, there's <laughs> something, or, or there's something here that we should immediately, uh, you know, add to the, the current, our current offerings. Um, another kind of, uh, I think an, uh, then one of the differences really becomes just the horizon that we're looking at. So same design process, but now we're just looking further out into the future. So one of the conversations has often been that, you know, future in most businesses is two to five years. And that's mind blowing for some businesses to even think about. If you talk to like a UX team, future is like six weeks, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, if they're working in sort of an agile fashion, you know, yeah. they just, you, you can't, you can't ask them and they don't have the space to necessarily have these types of explorations. So we'll often talk about the value of exploring a horizon beyond 10 years as something that's far enough out to be very different from what they're currently looking at. But also it's not say beyond 25 years where it becomes so disconnected from what they're doing uh, in, and maybe so unpredictable that it, it's harder to see value in that exploration. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, that new horizon becomes interesting. So then I've, I've made sort of a simple chart of the, the kind of process here to think about, uh, again, other interfaces into the business. So in terms of, um, you know, identifying a, a signal, um, say an emerging technology or a trend, uh, that, that, that work is already kind of well-established in business settings. They have uh, trend forecasters, they have companies that they work with to identify emerging trends, emerging technology. Uh, and then foresight work is also often very established. There are strategy teams that are creating reports on what the future looks like and identifying um, you know, possible scenarios. So mm -hmm. similar to the work that, that speculative designer would normally do, those are functions that often operate in the business. And many times I find I'm actually picking up there. So right. there's, there's a trend report on their desk uh, or they've al already identified five or six feature scenarios they're interested in, uh, but that, that becomes the end, that they're interfacing with it through a paragraph of text, uh, you know, a, a sort of an abstraction uh, of what that future scenario might be. So then the next step becomes speculative design. Well, let's take that future scenario, let's take that question you have about this emerging technology, and let's then design a future product or service Let's make that future tangible in some way. Let's prototype it to allow you to explore it. And then I think the, for me, that's always interesting, but then more useful is actually the implications discussion. It's the conversation of people's reactions to that, mm -hmm. what happens after, after the, the fact. Um, and, then, and then finally, I think, and this becomes really important, is what do you do with that information? And uh, for me, this becomes the new piece of, uh, uh, kind of the new bit of the process that is important for speculative designers working in corporate settings to be a part of. Um, so I'll, I'll just share this again. It's, it's very difficult to go out into the future, start with signals and trends, mm -hmm. uh, build some sort of future scenario, and then create a speculative design. But often we've said then, well, we've sparked, we provoked, we've sparked the conversation, Job, job done. And in a corporate setting, then there's a, a second step. It Going back into the business is just as hard. Mm. And so these, these other bits about uh, formalizing the implications discussion. So really, really understanding how people are reacting to that design. Um, 
uh, gathering that information from inside the business or maybe even from consumers or citizens mm -hmm. uh, or other or governments, you know, other people that might be involved in that, but really formalizing and gathering that that reaction, those reactions on the implications of this design. When, when you say gathering these reactions, in, as an example, what, what kind of methodologies and processes do you use in, in Neely world, worldwide to do yeah. that? Yeah, well this, I mean this is interesting too because I, I realize that oftentimes the, the person that has the skills to build uh, one of these speculative designs is not necessarily the same person that is good at capturing those reactions. You know, mm. it's, it's almost mm -hmm. a user research exercise, an, an ethnographic exercise yeah. at that yeah. point. And so uh, you might have then a research team coming in at that point or a design researcher that's actually, you know, running an interview, <laughs> uh, watching someone reacting to the speculative design. Um, also just a synthesis, just the, just the process. Okay, I've shown this to 20 people. These were all of their reactions. And now I'm, I'm synthesizing, collating all of that information. So it's, it's just a formalization of, I think what we do normally, you know, you have those conversations over and over again with people about the design. But now it's about capturing that uh, and bringing that information together in some in some way. Right. Um, so then, yeah, it's what are the learnings and principles that have emerged from this, from these these different designs? Um, and then there's some step about taking those back into the business. So maybe it's uh, you know backcasting is one activity to say what are the steps if we if we take this future and then we kind of back the timeline up. Mm -hmm. what, are, what are kind of the evolutions of the business that that would get us here? Yeah. And then how do we avoid that? Or how do we, you know, what are the sort and of decision points? Discourage certain aspects. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So giving them a sense of how, again, how this connects exactly to what they're doing today. And then I think the final step is, is generation of strategy. So because we've, we've learned this, because we've spent this time out in the future, what does it mean for us today? What will we do differently? How do we change, you know, do we, we push investment in one space? Do we, uh, we step away from another space? You know, what, what are the types of activities that will go on now because we've had this conversation in the future? And then on the, on the side of that also current product implications. You know, is there anything we've learned from this exploration that would change the, the offerings that, that we've created today? So again, I, I think um, what I've realized is it's really hard. You know, it's, an, it's, a, it's a discipline uh, to create speculative design, <laughs> to be able to take things out into the future, to manifest them in some way that people can engage with them. That's mm. hard work. And it's, it's not, you know, it, it's, it's not something necessarily you can just pick off the shelf and, and do it well. Um, but equally as difficult is coming back. Yeah. Once you've been <laughs> out into the future, you know, you can't just... <laughs> <laughs> We've all seen the film. <laughs> it's, uh, we know this, right? You can't, you can't just show, I mean, in, the, in Susanna's example, you, you couldn't show that image to an executive at a healthcare organization and just leave that with them. Yeah, you but this is the, the difficulty in working in these environments, I think, is breaking down the barriers enough to be able to be taken seriously. When you're, when you're throwing some ideas that can be quite alien yeah. out there. I think that's right. And I think there's then a lot of hand-holding um, mm -hmm. that happens at that moment. And, you know, you, you, there's a provocation, but then you, you really have to guide the conversation and help participants then through that process of what did we learn here? You know, what, what are we seeing? How does how do these things connect back into our business today? And so again, that that closing the loop, <laughs> bringing things back becomes really interesting. Yeah, it's essential in the, in the slightly more unusual environments for this thing, like taking it outside of a design kind of centric conversation or a gallery art creative mm -hmm. kind of context. E exactly. And but if that is done, then I think it it really there's a huge opportunity in these settings to create value. Um, and if if you you know if we can we can take those final steps that sort of formalization of the gathering of implications and and that plugging into current strategy then it, it really can be a meaningful and valuable uh, process for uh, for these these organizations and and it's it's not dismissible it's you know suddenly it's you see the value as it shows in a in a gallery. Uh, and that is completely fascinating and in incredible. And also, we see the value now in 
in a in a corporate setting, mm. that it, mm -hmm. it can also have meaning there, uh, which Th is interesting. There's also a thing. I mean, I'm just wondering um, because within a gallery setting, for instance, you've got like a very particular audience um, or targeted group of people, let's say, um, that are generally uh, interested in culture and stuff like that. But like when you're in a corporate setting. It's like, who, is, who do you work with within a corporation particularly? Because we've interfaced sometimes with uh, corporations or in like more kind of advertising side of things. Mm. But even in um, like organizations that are not necessarily related to advertising, the marketing team is often the one that gets in touch with us or interface with us. And their, I mean, their goal is not the ones of the, like, it's not it's not the the actual corporation's goals they're like trying to put the word out there and advertise about it yeah. so it's kind of like how do you target which department because yeah and i think i mean i think that's interesting i think that is definitely an interface where where people are using these designs to uh, communicate in in the public to communicate thought leadership yeah. to create a sort of uh, buzz around a particular direction because they're nice pictures uh, uh, they're beautiful they're <laughs> provocative you know and it, it establishes sort of cutting-edge nature to the business so that's definitely I think an interface that works really really well and then there I think there are a few others I think uh, user research is one mm -hmm. you know user research design research teams internal uh, ethnographers are often putting you know provocations in front of users to understand their how they think about the world and so it, it isn't a stretch to see that, okay, these are three near-term prototypes, and now we're going to put in uh, a prototype that's further out. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we, can, we can slide into that stimulus uh, things from the future. And, w you know, it opens up the same conversation in some way. It, the the uh, individual begins talking about their feelings, what their values, you know, what underlies. Uh, the researcher can then sort of unpick what underlies mm -hmm. their reactions to that thing. So that's one. Uh, the other one would be um, product teams, existing product teams. So I think just the same <laughs> sort of freedom that many of us have found by coming into speculative design, that we can decouple from the near-term needs of the business. You know, internal design teams are often struggling under that same yeah. oppressive. They have the same <laughs> frustrations. <laughs> the same they're desperate to <laughs> jump on that yeah. future wagon. Yeah. Well, well, it's it's a it's a it's a chance for sort of open-ended, free exploration, and so it's really hard to sell in then uh, and to to say, okay, we're going to take our entire design team off of this and we're going to work on the future. But if if we're in a moment of ideation of generating mm -hmm. new ideas for a you know a product line. Is there a way to create a sliver or a thread of that work where we're gonna where we're gonna work further out into the future? Um, and what I've seen several times is by doing that, you know, teams are designing. They're they're now free to think outside the normal constraints of the business. They design one of these very challenging futures, and then we realize, oh, you know what? Again, that's not that far out. <laughs> Actually, we should pass that immediately to this guy over in that department <laughs> and, and then fast forward onto the onto the real stuff exactly <laughs> but it, it, again that's that's the value you know the, the real stuff is that idea that that just came back from the future yeah um, and I mean I even in our work I see this all the time I you know I'll see a project from someone and I'll go wow that is so mind-blowing that feels th like it could never happen and then we see a company four years later that is actually pursuing you know some concept quite related to yeah. that so it's it's one of these things too the future is always happening faster than we anticipate yeah. or, or that we understand and so it becomes interesting for for businesses to uh, uh yeah to begin to play in that way and and see what they can kind of skip forward in terms of their implementing new products or services Mm -hmm. Sure. So, I mean, uh, a few examples. Uh, there are a lot of examples of engagement with corporations, but um, I've, uh, I'll share a few. This is uh, Movil Lab and Benedict Gross mm -hmm. and his team. Uh, Movil Lab is a Mercedes-Benz uh, organization looking at the future of mobility. Um, and they, uh, this is a project that we wor had worked on um, together and with some uh, students. Um, looking at the future of mobility and, and uh, the output was a, a small book called Where Do Cars Go at Night? It's a children's book. 
and it uh, it explores you know after a, this is Carla 15 this little car drops off a boy from school and the boy asks you know where do you go where do you go at night you know where do you go now <laughs> and the book kind of then follows Carla as she goes through her her evening you know she uh, is reminiscing about how the the parking garage you know she used to hang out with her friends but now it's a it's an ice cream parlor and a theater because you know we don't need parking garages anymore <laughs> and uh, <laughs> she goes through the city you know watering plants and delivering groceries and and making repairs and, and she charges her batteries right all, all of those things that that an autonomous vehicle might do um, at, at night um, but what's interesting about it is, again, it's a really kind of playful way to engage with the, the concept. But then we've got all of these uh, really actually interesting information about changes to the infrastructure in a city that come about from autonomous vehicles, all sorts of new services that emerge. And it's sort of a very, very easy way for um, people within now Mercedes-Benz and the company to engage with some of those concepts. It makes it very visceral, again. So Moving what, from what the report to uh, <laughs> now, well, more one tangible. of the nice things you have in the example you just just told us about is we just kind of take it as a given. Okay, the cars are autonomous, so that allows us then to actually develop these futures and think about the more preferable side of this world or or the possible side without worrying about the baseline technology. Sure, cars are autonomous. Okay, so now what's the character yeah. of this vehicle? What is what are the implications of that? That that allows us that that space to kind of dream rather than worrying about how do you plug it in, how the, the practical demands of, of technology. I think you're exactly right. And I think that's maybe how this is kind of helping to shift the conversation even within Mercedes-Benz. You know, you've got a car-focused company. They know the technology. Yeah, I want to make the fastest one, win the next F1. Yeah. And <laughs> they, that's their expertise. Yeah. You know, yeah. they, they know that world. They know the car. And to allow them to begin exploring beyond that, the implications of that uh, within city, and, and, you know, just giving the company language, yeah. uh, simplified ways or, or you know, a, again, a, a shared sort of future moment that they can all point to shared reference becomes really yeah. useful that's new language in the business um great a couple more yeah sure okay yeah i mean again uh elliot montgomery and uh chris wilbekin the extrapolation uh, we factory you know episode them. of vvfa yeah. chatting with elliot all about the extrapolation factory so they they do really amazing previous work. guest yeah <laughs> uh really you know amazing work and i've i've loved their project with the New York City Office of Emergency Management. Mm -hmm. And again, they, they did some amazing things there where they're building prototypes of devices that citizens might use, I think, uh, in, a, in an epidemic spreading across the city. Uh, then uh, playing with those prototypes with actors acting out scenes from the future and then using those converse or using those scenes to then engage the office of emergency management on implications and reactions but again i think a, another interesting moment where the the exploration can actually have a profound effect on the decision makers in an organization how they're how they're seeing this and how they're how they're um, you know how they might change strategy or how they might adjust or what they can actually learn today because of this moment they've spent in the in the future it's interesting as well because we were chatting so in the previous episode we were chatting to Elliot and we were talking about how uh, the aesthetic of the the object that they're making influences people as well because they have a very particular sense of aesthetic it's mm. very bright very colorful often um, and they're very well executed like even if it's like little piece of paper that are just printed colored paper with like that form that looks very uh, real and those yeah. kind of things like they 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 spend quite a bit of time choosing materials, choosing, um, and and all that is some in some ways like um, geared towards communication as well, yep. like trying to engage people through just the aesthetic of their devices. I mean that's really interesting, and it's it uh, it's interesting too. I guess kind of in contrast into my practice, because uh, are oftentimes the design team that I'll be collaborating with is in house and has their own. Mm. aesthetic yeah. and skill so I, I often I um, you know have to uh, become very adaptable <laughs> <laughs> to, to whatever the communication language is within the organization so there are some groups that 
you know, they work in concept cars and it's going to be slick and it's going to be to <laughs> a particular, you know, level of quality and refinement that mm -hmm. the rest of the business is norm or, you know, is, is used to seeing. Yeah. Uh, and then in other places where again, another type of communication mechanism, you know, the PowerPoint deck, uh, that, that is how everyone understands information in the business. Okay. We're going to build our speculative design in a PowerPoint deck. You know? <laughs> that's yeah. going to be the form that it will exist in. But I think you're right. I think making those decisions about communication become essential and, and understanding the, the power uh, of the design, uh, a lot of that rests in its ability to, to travel through the organization or for people to understand uh, at that level. I mean, last example, and I'll kind of wrap up with a couple of ideas, but uh, Tellart's work in uh, uh, in, in uh, San Francisco, uh, they've done this, you know, a number of amazing projects with uh, Dubai and the Museum of the Future. And I've got an image here of one of their um, underground uh, in, indoor farms where an apartment block might be growing all of their own food in the future. Um, you know, in their basement rather than having to travel to a grocery store for food that's that's traveled halfway around around the mm -hmm. world uh, to get them. But again, you know, they've uh, a lot of work, and I know Superflux has worked in a number of these environments as well. You know, they're they're engaging directly with ministers, with leaders of a of a country who are directly connected to policy decisions and are actively you know, working on policy and making choices that will impact the future. In, I mean, in some ways, this is the biggest lever there is for, for changing the future. And to allow those groups to engage uh, with these ideas is, I think, really, really interesting. And I, I guess, yeah, it's one of the, again, for me, this becomes the big, the big opportunity. So we've, I mean, we've talked about a, a number of these ideas, but just in, you know, thinking about value of speculative design in these settings, the creation of a discussion space, I think we know well and understand. Yeah. The generation of perspective in unclear context becomes really useful. Adding new language to the business, giving everyone a shared point of reference to understand what's going on. Uh, also making sense of complexity and uncertainty, you know, just giving them some bits to, to grasp onto and to better understand what's going on. It's been one of the places where my background in, in service design has been really useful. Mm -hmm. It's not just the car, it's the new services that emerge. You know, it's the entire shifts in, in, uh, in kind of policy that take place. It's, it's all the new infrastructure that's changing in the city. So those sort of service lenses become really useful uh, for, for groups to make sense of this. Um, triangulation again not one future not one shiny version many versions that we can look at uh, making the future tangible in some way it's amazing how prototypes travel through businesses you mm -hmm. know when there is that one image when there is that one uh, story that one speculative design that that tangibility uh, allows people to engage in a, in a really useful way um, the freedom to think in these new ways you know to be creative and innovative uh, to generate new product and service concepts to kind of dream in this way become useful. Uh, and then ultimately the, you know, the, the difference between uh, applications and implications, mm -hmm. um, reframing what the business is currently doing and, uh, and, and kind of be able to interrogate these new things becomes interesting. Okay. So this is the, this might be kind of, uh, well, we'll share, share two more thoughts and <laughs> <laughs> wrap up. So, uh, uh, one is just, I think one of the reasons for me this becomes so important is, again, kind of possibility dilation. You know, the speed at which possibilities and things can happen in the world is kind of increasing. And I've got a graphic here I've been kind of playing with is, is this idea of those future cones kind of collapsing. Mm -hmm. And that actually the, uh, you know, if you think about it in terms of a hundred years ago, the distance we could travel in the world and the time it took to reach those distances, you know, we're, we're, things are getting faster and faster. And really the, the ability to scale technologies to move things around the world at pace is, um, you know, is, is so incredibly quick now. Again, it becomes essential for businesses to spend time further out into the future to better be able to react to those changes that uh, that are coming and coming very fast. Okay, and here, this might be complete 
sacrilege. <laughs> a little <laughs> nervous. To, yeah. <laughs> a little nervous to share this idea, but I've also been playing with some thinking about uh, C. So, Dunrebi uh, A and B, and is there is there a C? Well, maybe it'd be useful just to, to for people who are not familiar with the Dunrebi A and B. Yeah, yeah. Just, just to kind of introduce that. Talk through this, and then we yeah, can start yeah, this real kind of definition. <laughs> <laughs> well, ho hopefully, a, a, an opening up another conversation here. But <laughs> again, this is we, we talked about this a little earlier. But this is uh, two columns of, of text. Uh, a being the sort of traditional way that design operated in the world as sort of slave to industry, and B being uh, a new way of operation in sort of a cr critical design uh, mechanism. We decouple design from industry, and then we use the design tools and techniques and approaches to explore questions in a completely different way. Um, and so my, my question with C is actually it's almost a closing, it's again this closing of the loop. Mm -hmm. uh, instead of just prompting the question in B, is there a moment that we actually now um, also take a responsibility to, um, to act mm -hmm. or to, to help uh, groups make sense of the future that we've created in, in some way? So, I mean, I'll share a, a few of these kind of transitions, but, you know, again, this is a a work in progress and very much a mess still, but excited to kind of share this, these, some of these ideas Don't with worry. the community. Just <laughs> just We're all friends, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, the, the shift from uh, problem solving, becoming problem finding to problem reframing um, or providing answers to asking questions to generating wisdom. Um, uh, another idea from, you know, uh, narratives of production to narratives of consumption to narratives of equilibrium um, uh, applications implications to impact uh, fun satire dead serious <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know um, consumer citizen sapien uh, user person living thing um, training education enlightenment so again, this is this is a playful exploration, but but trying to ask what does this look like now when we sort of take responsibility to close to close the loop, and to to make our future explorations actually um, to just help groups land them in a way that can have near-term impact on on the business. So that's. That's so that was spoken word, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that evolves over time. But maybe I'll share some of these on uh, on Twitter or things, and it'd be fun to uh, just you know to open up the conversation. But I guess what I've I've seen is is really these approaches, speculative design approaches, can really be impactful in business, can be invigorating to the conversations that are happening in these settings. And I just, you know, I see many of the problems that we're all facing as a society. Uh, a lot of the, the things that, that many people believe in so much, the causes that we're, we're bringing awareness to and opening up conversations about, we can now plug those conversations into many of the, the organizations that have, uh, are operating at scales and have mm -hmm. levers that, that can actually shift these futures and if we can figure out ways to to kind of close this loop help those groups engage with these futures I think we have really interesting opportunities to uh, to push the work forward in, in in different in different settings so that's that's the hope that the other there is sort of a, a normalization of speculative design that I think can can generate a lot of mm -hmm. interesting value and and uh, allow speculative designers to work in in now another you know new spaces uh, uh, that we maybe haven't explored before. Well, Fantastic. thank you. That On a deadly serious note, <laughs> Joe Paul, thank you very much uh, for coming and spending some time with us yeah. here in Sugar House Studios today. And um, we'll keep an eye on that Twitter, yeah. see how online column C develops. And um, yeah, fascinating stuff. Thank you very That's much. That's great. Thank you so much for your time. Do you want to drop a couple of... Uh, Twitter handles. Yeah, we can we can do that. Yeah, um, you can follow me on uh, at Jape, J A P E on Twitter. Um, also at uh, at Neely Worldwide um, and NeelyWorldwide.com, and you can follow some of the the explorations and, and work that we're doing there. But also, uh, love to have people reach out. Always, you know, interested in exploring how these approaches work in in new new settings. Uh, 
So yeah, absolutely interested in continuing the conversation. Mm. Oh, I've got one oh. last question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. Close that. <laughs> no, so uh, because I spent uh, a few months in America at the beginning of the year, mm. and I had I was under the the impression that there's a lot of situation where people don't necessarily know about speculative design, but they know the word or the phrase speculative design. Mm. So yeah. experimental practices uh, in any type of design, they tend to put that under the umbrella of speculative design as soon as they don't understand what it is. Okay. And it's very quite interesting because obviously, like in any type of uh, design discipline, you've got good and bad and like in between and stuff like that. But then certainly there is like an amalgamation of different type of practices, which I think are very different from uh, future orientated type of speculative design. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you ever encountered this kind of things. Uh, you know, um, I mean, one thought it, 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 for me, it's been a little similar to the experience I had with service design. Mm. So when I started practicing service design uh, 15 years ago in You're the States, chairs and so yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, they, um, no one in the States knew what service design was, but service design was emerging as a discipline in Europe. Uh, in Denmark and here in the UK, there were a few uh, practices popping up. And I think a lot of that was happening and service design thrived here because you had, uh, you had governments who were funding the work to, uh, you know, a lot of these sort of social systems and processes and services. There was a lot of funding for the work that allowed the, the approaches to kind of thrive and develop. And in the States, you didn't have that same type of uh, funding mechanism mm -hmm. and so the, the I think service design as this one is is still uh, I would say behind in the states compared to in Europe but I think the same thing is true for speculative design you know in in Europe there was a lot of interest in academia mm -hmm. a lot of uh, amazing funding bodies that allowed these types of explorations a lot of interest from you know galleries and museums and others that sort of supported the work and I think the many of those funding mechanisms don't exist in the states you know it's very or they're they operate differently it's driven by corporations yeah. you know uh, the states is a yeah it's, it's big business in a, in an interesting way so i think um yeah i think that's maybe some of them the uh the i guess the why it's been a little slower in the states to be understood but yeah i think then it's it's an opportunity to kind of explain <laughs> to educate and to kind of share some of the some of the differences in the approaches and and the value there it feels it feels like a, a wide open space in the in the yeah. u.s for me no totally a wild frontier a wild frontier <laughs> exactly. yeah the, the the wild west <laughs> let's do a tour amazing <laughs> okay well you're listening to very very far away coming live from sugar house studios and um we've just been speaking with jay paul neely uh what's coming up next to tracker uh, what's coming next? So next we have uh, a sci-fi mix by Anne Dufault. Well, let's cue some tracks and get things rolling and um, come back to you really soon. Thanks again, J-Paul. Thank you. Yeah.